We, uh, we're going to pick right back up in John 6 as, we, as we've been studying Jesus' bread of life discourse. And I just want to remind you, if, if you've, you, you may have heard me say this already, there is no way to really understand what Jesus is teaching here by giving you a bunch of individual sermons. So every one of these build off of another. If you've missed one, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them and, and, and understand Jesus. Jesus is really giving us and teaching us, and teaching these people that he's speaking to about his work of salvation or the way that he is providing eternal life. To this point, Jesus, uh, we've studied that Jesus has revealed our failure or our sinful natures, our fallen nature. We, we act out of this nature. In fact, because of who we are, we're really incapable of, of acting any other way than our nature demands or our, our nature motivates. And so as a result, we pursue work for trust in, however you want to say it, we go after all the wrong things. And, and Jesus highlighted this when he confronted these Jews who had, who had been blessed by his miraculous power. He, he confronted them and said, you're working for the wrong things. Don't work for the bread that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Then, a couple of weeks ago, we pointed out that Jesus establishes himself firmly, without question, without, without uh, discussion, or, and really there's no other way to come to this in this passage, but Jesus establishes himself as that food that endures to eternal life. He's the one that we're to, to, to look to. He's the one that we're to, to, to long for and gain, and he's the one that, that brings the blessing of eternal life. But he says that the only way we enjoy that is not to work a law or to, to follow a set of rules or a set of traditions, but to believe in him. That's all we can do. Jesus has done the work, and he says now all we can do is trust him. Just trust that he's done that for us. And then last week, we saw our nature, again, is, is against us in this. It, 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 it motivates us. It moves us to believe in all the wrong things. It's not natural for you and I to trust in Jesus. He showed us that as he demonstrates that no one comes to the Father unless they're, or no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. No one comes to him unless God does an act in him first. In fact, he points out that our faith, our ability to choose God is, is, is conditional upon God choosing us first. And sometimes in our minds, we mix that around. But you read the passages, and, and you'll see it a little bit again today as, as we go through it. But you read the passages, you, you'll, you'll see that Jesus is clearly teaching that God chose first, and then in response, we can now believe and trust in him. In doctrinal terms, this is called election. And it's a, it's a difficult doctrine for some people to accept, but the reality is this, is that it's not about whether or not the Bible teaches election. Anybody that studies the Bible seriously recognizes that, that election is a real doctrine that, that's presented in Scripture. No, no matter what your view on it is, if you come to the Scripture, you're going to see that God's a choosing, He's an electing God. You can't, get a, you can't get away from it. Now, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate as, as, as people come to this topic. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about how God chooses or what He looks at when He chooses. Now, I think the Scripture is clear based on what Jesus taught that, that there is nothing in us that God looks at and sees. He chooses, He sovereignly chooses, and then, and then as a result, we can then believe that we can then trust now you may come up at it a different perspective and, and I mean, there's plenty of people who do and there's plenty of bible verses that's not something for us to argue about or get mad at one another about just the reality we've got it we all got to deal with the same passages of scripture we've all got to look at them and and this is just what i believe the the bible teaches that god elects based on what god chooses or god's sovereign choice 
Now, that's important because as we deal with what we're going to deal with today, it's going to play into heavily this next perspective as we see that Jesus is more than enough. Now, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. It's going to be a long passage, and so I'm just going to ask you to to do your best to stick with me. I know that the distractions happen, our minds wander, and, 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 and some of us are ADD, and, and we're like bouncing all over the place. But, but I'm going to ask you, we're going to read like 20-some verses in a row. You guys know me. I probably won't, I'll probably stop along the way and say some things, but the reality is we've got a lot of verses to read in a row. So I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you to do the best you can to stick with me. But the idea here is to, to, to see and to begin to gain this perspective that as Jesus provides this and God chooses, he's not choosing in such a way that he is denying that Jesus can save everyone. He's not denying that the sacrifice that Jesus made is sufficient for everyone. But the reality is, is that we can see and learn in this teaching that Jesus is more than enough to save all. All right, so we're just going to start reading. We're going to pick it up in verse 30. Or I'm, I'm sorry, not, not verse Man, I'm all messed up. Where's my, where's, my, where's my verses? 35 to 51. Thank you. See, that's why I put PowerPoints together, because otherwise, my notes, that's not what it says, and I'm like, that's not right. <clears throat> if you guys had to live in my head, you would know what this is about. You, you would understand. Jesus said to them, you know what? I'm going to back up one verse. It's not on the screen, but just, just hear this. 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus has just taught these Jews, that he's just taught this massive crowd that's followed him and sought him out because they, they ate his miraculous meal. He's told them that, hey, there is a bread, there's a food that gives way to eternal life. And they're like, we want that. We long for it, we desire it. Give us this bread always. That sounds great, right? I mean, it sounds like they're after the right thing, that they're pursuing the right thing. He's, and, and, and he says to them, in response to that, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. They had Jesus right there in front of them. They had his miracles. They had his teaching. They had him in the flesh. They, they, they could see in him God. And they didn't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You hear God's election in that moment, in that verse. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? You see, here's the idea is they saw Jesus' miracles. They had already proclaimed the day before that Jesus was the prophet they had been, been looking forward to. They, they wanted to make him king. They ascribed to him that he was from God. But as soon as Jesus began teaching and pointing himself as the one that they must trust in, they didn't like it. They began to get upset about it. And eventually it's going to lead them to, to leave him and walk away from him. But Jesus answered them, verse 43, Do not grumble among yourselves. <clears throat> no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Again, you see God's election. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus has seen the Father. There's none of us that have laid eyes on God. There's none of us that, that can say that we saw God. Even Moses, who, who did see God, couldn't look on God in his fullness. He had to look at God after he had passed by. Because if he had seen God, he would, Moses had died. That's what it says. He says, he says, not that anyone has seen the Father except me, who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. <clears throat> All right. We, we just read a lot of verses, and I'm going to try to show you just two points out of them. We could, we could spend a lot more time, and, and, and that's why we can't do this all in one week and why these messages have to build on one another because there's no way that we could bring all that Jesus is teaching here in one message. You would get tired, and I might even fall asleep on you, and we, would, we just wouldn't be able to accomplish, accomplish it. But, but today, two truths I want to point out from all of these words. One, the first one, eternal life is not given to everyone but is available to all. There's a difficult truth revealed in these words, in, in, in Jesus' teaching. Some are going to die, and they are not. They're, they're not going to live in an eternity that's pleasant and pretty and full of roses. It's difficult. It's a doctrine. I, I'm just going to tell you that from, from where I stand, it is a doctrine that crushes me. Because I have friends and family and people I care about dearly who deny Christ, who won't trust in him. But according to this passage, have, have no real hope other than him. It's a, it's a, it's a doctrine that we typically try to, to skirt around or at least uh, we, we try to, to crush it or to, to, to hide it maybe is a better way to say it. Now some, some have just out and out just... Uh, gone the other way. We don't believe that. God would never send anyone to hell. God would, God's going to raise everyone up. God's going to um, make everyone uh, okay in the end. Love wins. But that's not what happens according to this passage. So the scriptures are clear. Jesus' words here are unmistakable. There are people alive in the flesh who have experienced something of God but will not live forever with him. We see it first, not first, but we see it in verse 49. When Jesus refers to those Jewish ancestors that God had led out of Egypt, he refers to your fathers ate manna in the desert. He's pointing back all the way to the point where God chooses the Israelites. He, all the way back in history, he, he looks down on these people and he says, this is my people, they are my nation. And they cry out to him to be delivered. They're in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. And they're crying out to him. For 400 years, they're crying out to him. And God, in his time and at just the right moment, he, he chooses Moses and he says, Moses, go in and get my people and lead them out. And Moses does. You know, it's a process. It doesn't happen just like that. Moses, Moses does obey 
He goes in and he leads them out. Along the way, they are pursued, and the Egyptian armies are after them, and God leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and the sea covers up the Egyptian army, and they are, they are saved by God's providential, sovereign power. Then they get into the desert, and they're walking, and they're following God. And while they're going... The scriptures tell us that their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. God is providing for them all along the way. And they even had food to eat at his hand. And they'd go to bed at night, they'd go to bed at night, and they wouldn't have anything. They would wake up the next morning in this manna, this heavenly bread. We don't even really know how to describe it because nobody was there to eat it. This heavenly bread was outside just waiting for them. And they would go out and they would gather. They were told to gather just enough for that day. And they would gather enough just for that day, except on the day before the Sabbath when they were supposed to gather enough for two days. If they, if they gathered more than they needed for a day, the next morning they woke up and it was rotted and full of maggots and it was, it, they couldn't do anything with it. Except for that sixth day when they would gather enough for two days and it would last. God always saw to it that they had food. He provided for them. They experienced his power and his provision and his presence every day. I mean, imagine what it is to wake up in the morning and, and, and the cloud that's, that's before you in the day and the fire that's before you in the night, it's moving and, oh, I've got to follow it. And how am I going to eat? Well, you wake up and there's the bread. What clothes am I going to wear? My, my stuff's not wearing out. My shoes, I've walked through the desert for years, and my shoes still have the same soles on them. They saw his providence, his, his provision, his protection every day. But what is this passage? What does Jesus teach us here? They ate manna in the desert, and they died. Now, <clears throat> okay, he could be talking about a physical death. He could be saying that, that they died physically. But in the context of this passage, over and over and over, as Jesus refers to life, he's not referring to our physical life. He's referring to our eternal life. Why would he choose then to step out of context and make one comment about a physical experience after our physical death? I, I don't think it adds up. I think that this, that, that this teaches that maybe, maybe, maybe they, they all died physically. We know they did. Maybe some lived eternally. But I think it shows us that just because they experienced God's presence, His protection, just because they had a story to tell about what God had done among them, didn't give them life. Now fast forward a couple thousand years. These Jews, just the day before, they ate a miraculous meal. They ate bread at God's hand. And, and just so that you kind of get the, the context and the way John's tying this into the Old Testament, the place that this happened, if you read in, in the other gospel uh, writers, all three of them, all three of the other gospel writers point out that this happened in a desolate place, like a desert. God shows up. And he breaks this bread and feeds them a miraculous meal. And they all have this story to tell about how they now have eaten bread from the hand of God. You see the tie? 
You see the parallel? You see why it's so important for them to understand in this moment that their experience, that, that, just, that just experiencing God or just, or just coming to this place where they see God move or, or, or having a story to tell about God or having knowledge of God, You see, eternal life is not given to everyone. Even people that have a story to tell. I went to a church once and I had this great experience. There's a lot of people that stood in that crowd that day that had a great experience. And Jesus is telling them, if you don't believe in me, you don't have life. Because the only way to have life is to believe in me, to trust in me. But, but hear this. They're not without hope. They're not without an opportunity. Over and over and over, he uses words that, that seem to imply or, or that would teach that just because, just because they're not believing in this moment, that there's not an opportunity for them to believe at all. Verse 35, Jesus says, and, and remember, this is a group, of, he's, he's speaking to a group of people who are going to deny him, who are going to walk away from him, who, who are disbelieving him, who are grumbling against him. And he says, whoever comes shall not hunger. Whoever believes will never thirst. Whoever comes to me, in verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. Verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 51, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And again in verse 51, the bread given for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is a difficult thing sometimes for us to try to comprehend as we think about these two seemingly opposing factors. We started in this place where we saw God choosing and electing some to be saved. And we see that not everyone will be saved. But as we read this passage, we can't deny that whoever's and anyone's and for the life of the world, there's a possibility, there's an opportunity, and a, a, a chance, even for those who would stand and look at him and in his face grumble against him. I think that we can see this applicable in, in, in just a couple of different ways. Jesus' sacrifice gives everyone a taste of God's grace. God looked on Adam and Eve and he told them, if you eat of the tree, you will die. So they ate of the tree and you know what should have happened? They should have died, but they didn't. God didn't crush them. 
He didn't end them. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't stop. In fact, in the midst of his curse and his pronunciation of the consequences of their decision, he promises one that will come, that will set things right. And now, even those who don't believe, even those who would argue against God's provision of salvation, even those who deny the existence of God, even those who would reject God, and even those who actively rebel and run from God, experience a goodness that they don't deserve. Experience an opportunity to know Him. A real opportunity, a real chance to know real life, eternal life. See, through Jesus, because of Jesus, there is a general grace that everyone experiences. Everyone. Because of Jesus' sacrifices, it, it, Jesus' sacrifice makes eternal life available, available to all the world. Because of Jesus, everyone can potentially be saved. He said to the Jews at one point, he said, if, if you would have just turned, if you had just turned, I would have gathered you to myself. There's potential. There's opportunity. There's a chance. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to save all the world. If a person could act outside of their own nature, if a person could do something as big, as powerful, as recognizing Jesus as Savior on their own, apart from God doing some work in them, Jesus' sacrifice it's big enough, it's sufficient enough to cover all the sins of the world. God's choice to save some, but not all, that, that limits who's going to trust in Jesus. That limits who will actually come to Jesus. But does not diminish Christ's availability and the benefit that Jesus coming to this world living the perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, rising again from the grave, does not diminish its availability and benefit to all the world. But on the other hand, Jesus' sacrifice is more than an opportunity for those that believe. See, this is the second point I want you to understand and I want you to get. There is a reality that happens that is available to everyone. It's available. And so now you and I can go out and we can preach Christ and we can proclaim His goodness and His grace and we can know that if a person comes, they have no doubt, they can have assurance that Jesus is going to respond. They can have assurance and, and, and we can be assured of the fact that, that, that as we proclaim it, it's as real and true for them as it is for us. We don't have to be stingy with Jesus. We don't have to pull back from the world and, and not share it. There's enough of him to go around. But for those of us that believe, Jesus' sacrifice is more than an opportunity. See, Jesus doesn't merely present an opportunity for those that believe. The beauty of this passage, and I hope what you'll walk away with today is, as a believer in Jesus, is, is an encouragement and a strength and an assurance that you have 
eternal life, that, you're, that the promises of Christ are as real and as certain for you as these words on this page. See, he speaks with certainty. For those that believe Jesus' sacrifice allows us to move beyond tasting grace to swimming in it. We're immersed in it. We're overwhelmed by it. Everything that we have and everything that comes to us now, it says that for our good, he works all things. That's an exercise of his grace. What do you deserve from God? We deserve Adam and Eve. We deserve what Adam and Eve were told they were going to get. What do we deserve from God? Do we deserve our troubles to turn to good? Do we deserve our sufferings to, to mean something and to, and, to, and to matter in our life? Or, or, or do we just deserve his wrath? See, for those that believe Jesus' sacrifice, it allows us to not just taste his grace, to, to not just grab a glimpse of it, but to be overwhelmed by it, to be immersed in it. It's, it's as if, it's as if all the world is running from God. It's, I mean, you just imagine the masses of people that have always lived and who are going to live. And you just imagine them in a foot race. I mean, I don't think there'd be enough world for us to line up on. And it's as if they're all running from him. Their backs are to him. And Jesus is calling out, don't go. Don't run, don't run, don't leave. I have something for you. I have grace for you. I have good for you. I long for you. But, but in our nature, in who we are, his grace, his goodness, his provision, it, it seems foolish to us. In fact, Paul says in, the, in his first letter to the Corinthians, that the message of the cross is folly, is foolishness, it's silly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being made alive by it, it's the power of God. You see, what happens is as we're running, that's all of our experience. There's not a, certain, there's not a person sitting in this room today that hasn't been there, that hasn't had your back to God, hasn't been running from God, hasn't been rejecting and rebelling against God. But for some of us, for those that now believe, it's like God showed up in the middle of our race. The Father who sent the Son shows up in our race. He taps us on the shoulder. He says, look, look at my Son. And all of a sudden, what seemed foolish through eyes that can now see and ears that can hear and hearts that can believe. We're able to look back at him and make sense of him. This is God's grace at work. It's God's provision of unmerited goodness on us. You see, it's no longer just, just an opportunity, just a sampling. We become overwhelmed by it. Swimming in it. Surrounded by it. And for those that believe, Jesus' sacrifice is not just available 
to us, but it's applied to us. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference. There, there's nobody that's going to die outside of faith in Christ and, and be condemned in, in, in the wrath that's justly deserved. There's no one that's going to die that's ever going to be able to stand in front of God and say, you didn't give me an opportunity to believe. No, I, I sent my son. None of us will have an excuse. None will have an excuse. But then, for those of us that, as we come to that moment, for those of us that believe, it's not just going to be there was an opportunity. God, the Father, who sent the Son and then uh, indwelt you by the Spirit, is going to look on you. He's not going to see the sin. He's not going to see the failure. He's not going to see the brokenness. He's going to look on you and see the, 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 the white clothes of a saint, the sinlessness of his son, and the power of his spirit. You see, in, in Christ, we aren't just forgiven. We're empowered to be this. We're changed into this. We've got this new nature. He, he, he's put it on us. He's made us this. He didn't just give you an opportunity. But he turned you and he changed you. He's promised you eternal life. And that promise is as certain as the words on the page. For those that believe, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient and efficient. You know, Jesus said, he, 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 told, he told these Jews as they stood there in front of him, the, 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 the sacrifice or the bread that I'm giving is my flesh. He's talking about his substitutionary atonement. He's talking about his life. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving my flesh for the life of the world. Literally, my life could be applied to everyone and it would be sufficient. But again, it's not just about opportunity. It's not just about availability. But it's about certainty. You see, his life isn't just sufficient for you, but it's efficient for you. Because of Jesus, we won't die. Even as we face a physical death, we have life. And just one more thought. For those that believe, Jesus is eternal satisfaction. And, and maybe, I, I, you know, maybe this is one that becomes the most applicable for us. Because as we think about it, and as we think about how, how God chose us, as we, as we perceive what God has done in salvation, apart from our efforts, it's difficult to, to make that applicable and, and, and mean something in life. And, well, I'm going to get up today, and I'm going to act on the fact that, that Jesus has, has forgiven me. Okay, well, what's that look like? What does that mean? And we can, we can list a number of things. Well, it means that, okay, well, I'm going to live in obedience to him. I'm going to follow his commands. I'm going to live as he lived. I'm going to love like he loved, because that's what he said. I'm going to forgive like he forgave. I'm going to extend grace like he extended grace. But I think those things come 
out of recognizing this one thing. See, for those that believe, Jesus is our eternal satisfaction. Let me, let me put it like this. So let, me, let me get you to think of it in these terms. Why don't you read your Bible? We're doing a 60-day a day through the New Testament journey. And I'll admit that it's difficult sometimes to, to stick with that. Do you struggle with it? Do you have to, to make yourself or, or set aside a time? Do you have to plan it in your day? And if you don't, it's easy to overlook it and move past it. Why, why do you think we, we don't read our Bible? Why, why, don't, why don't we spend more time in prayer? Why is it that so much of our day can be given to pursuit of things in this world, even as believers? I'm making some assumptions. I, I recognize that. I, I don't know what you guys spend your day. Maybe, maybe there's some of you sitting in this room that every moment of the day, you're committed to Jesus. If you're, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, nobody wants to do that, right? Because I called you out. But the reality, that's, that's, most of us aren't there. Why is it that we have to talk about those things as if they're disciplines? Then recognizing that that's the steak. You know, that's the filet mignon. That, that's, that's, the, that's the prime rib of our day. I don't know, maybe you don't like steak. Maybe you're vegetarian. That's the asparagus. <laughs> You've been looking forward to it all day. Just can't wait to get to that asparagus. <laughs> the, reality, the, the, the reality is, is we don't because we find our satisfaction elsewhere. We decide to settle for things like comedy on television. We decide to settle for things like money in the bank. We decide to think, we, we, we decide that, that maybe having a big bank account for those years that I plan to retire is more important than my daily walk with Christ. You see this, I think, it, it makes everything else applicable. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never thirst. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. The, the beauty of that is, is that it's not meant for some time off in the future. Never means never from here on out. Never means that there's not going to ever be a time you see, I think sometimes the reason that we don't find our satisfaction in Christ and that we don't pursue Him and that we don't live in, 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 in an understanding of the, the knowledge of the fact that Jesus has forgiven you, Jesus has approved you, Jesus has loved you, Jesus has called you His own and been filled up and moved and motivated by us because we're too busy being satisfied by everything but this truth. We're too busy eating the bread of the world and not the bread of Jesus. He says, come to me, and I will satisfy you eternally. Maybe, maybe the reason we struggle, and trust me, I know this struggle. I've felt this struggle. Just this week, I've struggled. 
And I've, I've felt oppression and attack. And I'm not... It's, it's real. I know the struggle. And I know what it is to long for something. And think that when I don't, when, when I get it and it doesn't satisfy, or when I don't get it and I feel crushed, I know the confusion that comes from that. I know the, the, the emptiness that you feel. I know it. Jesus says that's not what he has for his people. The reason we struggle. The reason we, we, we often, often feel empty and dissatisfied. The reason we're not running to prayer. The reason we're not running to the scripture. The reason that we don't long for it more than we long for the world is because oftentimes we're seeking satisfaction from the world. Believers, hear this. Jesus will satisfy you eternally. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, this opportunity is as real for you as it is for me and for every other believer in the room. If you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ, if you're here today and, 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 you're, and you're thinking, I've got to do something else, I've got some other plans, I've got some other thing that will, will make me happy, hear the opportunity and the, avail, the availability. There's only one thing that will satisfy eternally. There's only one way that you move from a taste and a glimpse of grace to being overwhelmed by grace. There's only one who will move sufficiency to efficiency. There's only one who makes opportunity and availability application to you, and that's trusting in Jesus. There's no other hope. There's no other plan. There's no other chance. Jesus taught it. And he calls us to believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that I, I thank you that you choose because I know without your choosing, we there would be none that would respond. But God, I, I thank you that you've made this available. I thank you, God, that we can truly call people to it, knowing that behind it is real uh, truth. It, 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 it's real promise. It's real satisfaction. And God, I, I, I do pray that as the believers sit in this room and they think through their life, that you would point out those places in them. God, I pray it in me. That you'd point out those places that, that we look to for satisfaction. That, that we turn to hoping that will give us the approval we long for or the, the comfort we desire or the, or, or the peace or the security, the, the confidence. God, would you show us those things that we look to other than your son? 
God, in this moment, I would, I would also ask that, that you just encourage them by your grace. That your son's enough. And that they will never be left wanting in him. God, would, would you encourage us to find contentment here in this world, but never, never feel like we got enough Jesus. Father, I, I, I'm convinced that there's people in this room that have never trusted you for their salvation, that, that they've only ever seen the opportunity and not realized the power and the application of it. Would you, by your grace, join them in their race, tap them on their shoulder, give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they might turn and run back to your son. They might believe in him and begin to grow in him. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.